Romans chapter 10, if you would please turn there, Romans 10. God's plan for the Jewish people, part three, part three. The last two weeks we have spent in Romans chapter nine talking about the past of the nation of Israel, how they got where they were, and in this state of unbelief, scattered around the world and under God's judgment. Today we are looking at the present condition or the present situation that the nation of Israel finds itself in, and then the challenge for them, as really with anyone else, to uh, see Jesus Christ as who he is and then put your faith in him. Now, as whereas chapter 9 dealt with the past condition of them, chapter 10 deals with the present condition of them. They were in rebellion to God. Jesus had come. Remember this, how they get to where they are. They were in rebellion towards God. Jesus had come as their Messiah. He had offered them salvation. He offered them a kingdom. They rejected him, who was God in the flesh and who is God in the flesh. And so where do you go from there? Is there any hope for them? Well, yes, there is hope for them. And so this is what we find in Romans chapter 10. Now in chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, that they might be saved. He was a Jew. He knew what he was talking about. He was a saved Jew, though. He had been a Pharisee. He came to faith in Christ as his Messiah, and he started preaching the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, as Messiah, right away. He says in verse 2, For I bear them record, they bear the, the Jewish people record, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now this is a perfect picture of really anyone who is religious today, regardless of the religion, regardless of whether you're Jew, Gentile, all right? There are many people who are zealous of their religion today, who will die for their religion, who are loyal to their religion. But here's the question, folks. Is that religion the truth? Is that religion from the God of the Bible? Is this truly what God has to say about the issues of life and eternity? See, here's the truth. You can be zealous, but zeal doesn't save anyone. There are a lot of people who are zealous who die every day and then they end up separated from God in hell for all eternity. Zeal doesn't save. Zeal doesn't save. Paul was zealous before he was saved, but he was totally lost until he found Jesus Christ. And he, of course, expressed this very clearly about himself. And so let's look first at the heart of the Jews' problem, the heart of the Jews' problem. And the first thing is this. You notice in verse 3, they are ignorant of God's righteousness. Now this is an important truth to get a handle on. They are ignorant of the perfect standard of God's righteousness required to get into heaven. And most people are today the same. Or they don't even understand that God's righteousness is what's necessary to get into heaven. You see, you talk to people today, I know when we do fair evangelism at the Benton County Fair, at Wright County Fair, you talk to people, hey, would you like to take a survey? Or you talk to them a little bit and then they'll say, oh, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. No, you're not good. 
you're not good and you need a savior because you can't save yourself. Now, there are a lot of people who think if they're good or if they behave themselves or they live a decent, reasonably moral life that God's gonna let them into heaven. But to get into heaven, here's where the ignorance comes in. A lot of people don't get this. To get into heaven, you have to be as righteous as God himself. Not good, perfect. Now let's get that. Even evangelicals are not explaining this the way they should. Friend, you have to be perfect to get into heaven. You might say, well, if that's true, no one's going. Yes, that's exactly the truth. That's why God sent Jesus. More about that in a moment. So you see, they are ignorant of God's righteousness. They don't understand that's what God requires. And because of that, notice the second thing here in verse three. It says they are trying to establish their own righteousness. So they don't understand God requires perfection. Therefore, they think it's up for grabs. They think, okay, well then what I need to do is I'll just do the best I can. I'll be good. I'll do good works. I'll behave myself. I'll try to live a moral life. I'll give the charities. I'll give large amounts of money if possible to different groups and charities and organizations. And certainly that's going to buy me some points with God. No, friend. Number one, you're ignorant of God's righteousness. You have to be perfect to get into heaven. You're trying to establish your own righteousness. And most people in the world are doing this. They believe in some sort of good works or merit to earn salvation, okay? 99.9% of the people in the world believe that some sort of good works will merit them salvation, however they define salvation, whether it's good karma, whether it's you know issues of the reincarnation, whether it's following the laws of their religion of one kind, the ordinance, sacraments, okay? People, quote unquote, Christian religions have their faith in doing the sacraments, such as of the Roman Catholic Church, thinking that that's gonna get you to heaven. All of those things are good works. And God says very, very clearly in the Bible that your good works will not get you into heaven. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Well, that's your opinion. It's not my opinion. Well, let me clarify that. It is my opinion, but it's, I'm not the one making this up. I'm not the one declaring it. It just so happens it is my opinion, but what's the important thing is I agree with God's opinion. And God is the one who decides who gets into heaven and who doesn't. And he says it's not by Works. Look at it with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let's look at it carefully. It says, For by grace are ye saved. Now, God's grace is his unmerited favor. In other words, it's not something you can deserve. It's not something you can merit. It's not something you can earn. It's unmerited. It's him being showing favor towards us even though we in no way deserve it. It's him doing something for us that we in no way deserve. That's grace. Grace is free, okay? Mercy there was great and grace was free, okay? Pardon there was multiplied to me. Have you ever wondered why? It says that pardon was multiplied. How can pardon be multiplied? Because of all the sins we'll commit in a whole lifetime, 
God's pardon is multiplied for every single one of them, covers every single one of them. For by grace are you saved through, notice this, faith. We're going to see that word a lot here as we go into Romans here, chapter 10. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you notice that? It's not of works. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift. Do you know what that means, friend? That means this. If my Bible was salvation, and I was God and you are you, and I wanted to give you salvation, I say, okay, I have bought and paid for salvation through the blood payment of my son on the cross, and I want to offer you eternal life. It's a gift. What do you have to do to get it? All you have to do is receive it. Receive it. It's offered. Receive it. It's a gift. Okay? You put your faith in Jesus Christ that he paid for your sins, and God gives you as a gift eternal life. You just merely receive it. You don't have to make deals with God. You don't say to God, okay, okay, Lord, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's too wonderful for it to be a gift. I have to do something for it. Remember, you can't do anything for it. The reason you can't do anything for it, well, there's a lot of reasons. One is that God requires you to be sinlessly perfect to get into heaven, and you doing things is not going to give you that righteousness, which is the actual righteousness of God. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't merit it. You're helpless to do it on your own. But God provided it through Jesus Christ, and he offers it to you freely. But you have to get, if you're going to get it, you're going to have to take it as a gift. Otherwise, you don't get it. You might say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Friend, it's what God says. You need to believe it. For by grace are you saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I've heard a lot of people say this. Well, you know, don't tell people that, that Jesus is the only way and, and uh, it's only through him and, and uh, you know, you're the only one that's right. Uh, number, I, I've never, ever in my life said I'm the only one that's right, ever. I've never said that in my life since I've been saved. Why? Because it's not a matter of me. It's a matter of what God says, okay? He is right. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In other words, there aren't many ways to heaven, and Jesus is one of them. No, he says there's only one way to heaven, and he is the only way. That's what the Bible says. And by the way, folks, that's one of the reasons Christianity is so hated by people, because it's exclusive. People say, don't say that. I'm going to say it again. It's exclusive, all right? The reason it's exclusive is because you can't earn it by your good works. Somebody else had to do it. That somebody else was Jesus. And he did that for us. He made the payment. Look up here. This representing you and me and my wallet represents our sin. We're all sinners, all of us. We are sinners, okay? To get to heaven, you have to be sinless. You have to be as righteous as God. No one is. No one is. God says their sin has to be paid for, and if we do it, we'll be lost forever in hell. He says no good works can do it because here's the fact. Because we're sinners, we've already blown it. 
Therefore, no amount of good works are going to pay for the sin. Death is the only payment. So your good works can't save. This is why Jesus came. God in the flesh, this hand representing him, he came into the world when he went to the cross. He took all of our sin upon himself. He paid for all of our sin. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. At Calvary. What Christ has done. Jesus died, was buried, rose from the grave. And he says, if you trust in him as your savior, he will give you as a free gift, everlasting life. It's the only way you can get everlasting life is to receive it as a gift. It's the only way. But here's what people say. Well, wait, don't tell people that. They're sincere. If they're sincere, they'll go to heaven. No, they won't. Sincerity is not a substitute for truth. You can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. Okay? So a lot of sincere people in the, in the world. I mean, give me an example. Somebody who takes a wrong turn. Isn't somebody who takes a wrong turn sincere? Well, they wouldn't have turned the wrong way had they known it was the wrong way. But you know what? People do the same thing with religion. They take wrong turns. Well, I believe this is the way. Yeah, but is it the right way? Well, it doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. Wait a minute. If you don't go the right way, you're not going to get there. There's only one way, and it's Jesus. Well, I still think as, as, as long as you're sincere, you'll go to heaven. Friend, listen, you're putting words in God's mouth that he doesn't agree with. He said, no, no, my son's the only way. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, includes yours, by the way, whereby we must be saved. It's only in the name of Jesus. Sincerity is no substitute for truth. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Okay, now back here to Romans chapter three. And so you see in verse three, they're ignorant of God's righteousness, number one. Secondly, they're trying to establish their own righteousness. And third, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. As long as you're trying to Get to heaven by your works. You haven't submitted yourself unto the righteousness of God. And this is what is needed. It is only accomplished by faith in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are submitting yourself to God's righteousness as your way to heaven. And that's the only way you're going to get there. Verse 4. For Christ, look at this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone that believeth. Anybody who believes you have to keep the commandments to go to heaven have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who puts their faith in him who believes. Hold your place here in chapter 10 and look at chapter 3 with me for just a moment. Romans chapter 3. We see this term again used over and over and over again, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. God's righteousness, God's perfection, that's what you need. Friend, when you, when you wrap your mind around that and you understand that, wait a minute, if I have to be as righteous as God, I'm in trouble. I can't make that leap. I can't accomplish that, Okay. You know, that's, what got, that's one of the things that got to me when I first heard the gospel. I understood all men were sinners. Yeah, we all do things wrong. Yep, yep, I'm, I'm one of those. Well, the wages of sin is death. Oh, well, 
well, I don't like that, but you know what? I'm a pretty good guy. I'm, I've got pretty good chances. But then the man said this, heaven's a perfect place for you to get in. You've got to be perfect. It's like, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And then he went further. Your good works can't save you. Say, wait a minute. You've knocked the ladder right out from under my feet. That's the only thing I have to offer is good works. And God says, my good works aren't good enough. I have to be as righteous as God. Somebody's going to have to do something for me. Yes. And he did. His name was Jesus. He paid for your sins so you don't have to and rose from the grave. And if you trust in him, he'll give you the righteousness of God as a gift. Look at it, Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Do you see that? If you think you can earn it by keeping the Ten Commandments, number one, you can't keep them. But if you think you can earn it by that, it says what? No flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. It shows you we're sinners. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of or in Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that do what? Believe, there it is again. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. Grace and free always go together. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, by faith, without the deeds of the law. Friend, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, you are helplessly lost. And the only way you can get to heaven is by putting your trust in Jesus Christ alone as your way. And only by that are you going to make it to heaven. The moment you trust Christ, he gives you his very righteousness. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 10. Verse 4 again, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Verse 5, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall, shall live by them. Okay, if you're going to commit to trying to keep them, you're going to have to keep them perfectly. Verse 6, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, or near thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, not works, faith, which we preach. Notice that in verse 4, verse 6, and verse 8, it is clear that salvation is by what? By faith. Verse 4, to everyone that believes. Verse 6, the righteousness which is of faith. Verse 8, the word of faith. And then we come to verses 9 and 10. Now, follow this clearly. A lot of people misunderstand them. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with my, thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is a very misunderstood and misapplied 
Scripture. And so let's, let's kind of break this down, okay? And this brings us to the solution to the Jews' problem. We've already seen the heart of the Jews' problem is that they were trying to establish their own righteousness by good works. So what is the solution to the problem? Well, let's look at it. Number one is this. Paul here is talking to the Romans about the Jews. All right? Now, this is key when you look at verse 9. Therefore, to confess Jesus is Lord, literally, that he is God is what it's getting at in the context, would be evidence of agreeing with God and believing what he said. You see, the Jews had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They had rejected his deity. Remember the uh, religious teachers, they took up stones to stone him because he, they said, being a man makes himself God. Well, guess what? He was God, but they rejected him as who he was. This was also the issue at Pentecost when Peter preached. This is why they were scattered and judged, and this is why the Jewish people are in the situation they're in today. Still scattered, but yes, coming back to the Holy Land. This is not speaking of making him the ruler of your life either to be saved. They'll say, well, you need to accept Jesus as Lord of your life. No, that's not what it's saying. You need to accept Jesus. The context of Romans 10 is the Jews accepting Jesus as God, the Savior, okay? It has to do with his deity, not, not some sort of service of your life. We have just seen clearly that it is by faith alone and Christ alone that is what brings salvation. So this passage can't contradict that. You might say, well, wait a minute. It says you have to confess with the mouth and believe in your heart. So if a person believes but they don't confess, now listen carefully, if they believe but they don't confess, will they go to heaven? The truth of it is this, if they have trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, they will go to heaven. What about the confession, though? You got to confess with your mouth. Well, number one, what would that be? That's a good work. See, here's the truth. The reason the heart and the mouth are mentioned in Romans 10, 9 and 10, now get this. The reason the heart and the mouth are mentioned in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, is because he is quoting from Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. We won't look at the whole passage, but let's look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 14, and look at the wording here. This is what he's quoting in Romans 10. And by the way, in Deuteronomy, he was talking to the Jewish people. Who's he talking about in Romans 10? He's talking about the Jewish people. And it says in Deuteronomy 30, 14, but the word is very nigh thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. Confessing with the mouth is mentioned first to follow the order of the passage in Deuteronomy. That's why it's mentioned first. It is not to build, as some people want to make it, it is not to build a two-step plan of salvation. We've already seen clearly that it's by faith alone, by faith alone, by faith alone, by faith alone. And then Romans 10, 9, and 10 comes in. It's not going to contradict what the rest of the Bible says on the issue. We have to understand the context here. In other words, he is saying, you've learned what is right. It is right there in you, even in your mouth. Believe it, is what he's getting at. And we see third, that those who believe would have righteousness. This is consistent with the rest of the New Testament. Do you see that in Romans 10, 
Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. What do we need to get to heaven? God's righteousness. What brings it? Believing. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, it's consistent with the rest of the New Testament as well as verses 4, 6, and 8. In just the gospel of John alone, folks, listen, it says some 98 times that it is by faith by believing in Christ that you're saved, okay? There's not going to be a contradiction to that. We need to understand the Bible in context. This comes before confessing, calling, or anything else, all right? Which leads us to our fourth sub-point here. You notice this? Those who confess with their mouths would be saved, or they would be saved people. The word confess is the Greek word homologeo. It means to uh, to speak the same thing, to assent, to agree with, to agree with. Confession here is a mark that the person has believed in Christ as their Savior. It doesn't get them salvation, it's a mark that they have believed. Now, this is significant in the context, okay? Understanding the Jews. If a Jewish person said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Do you understand by them saying that, what they're doing? They're marking themselves for persecution. They wouldn't do that. Now, they could do it, okay, and be insincere, but they most likely wouldn't do that, even today, by the way. They wouldn't do that for fear of what would come to them unless they did. If they did that, if they confess with their mouth, The point is this. No, it doesn't save them. It doesn't make them saved. But his point is, if a Jewish person puts their faith in Jesus as Messiah and then they publicly confess that, there's a pretty good chance they're saved because they wouldn't do it otherwise. But it doesn't save them. It doesn't save them. Very important to understand this. Those who confess with their mouth would be saved people. The confession here is a mark that the person has believed, all right? Now, I know people here that say, oh, but he's saying, uh, Pastor Yakuza is now saying that you have to confess to be saved or to prove you're saved. No, we're not. There's no, you don't have to confess anything to prove you're saved. God knows whether you're saved, whether you've trusted Christ as Savior or not. That's what brings salvation. Keep going, keep going. Let's look under this, this issue, okay? If you have to, let me, let me say this. Confession cannot be a condition for salvation for several reasons. One is this. It would be a good human work necessary for salvation. If I have to confess with my mouth, that is a human work. That, in a sense, is witnessing. I am being a witness to the saving power of Jesus Christ. This would contradict salvation by grace. Salvation by grace is a free gift. I don't have to confess with my mouth to be saved. Let's face it, witnessing is the most difficult work that a Christian does. And very few Christians ever share the gospel. Okay? But here's the truth of it. Are they saved? Yes. Are they afraid? Yes. Fear keeps us from doing what we ought to do But it doesn't make us save or determine whether we're going to heaven or hell. Then there's the issue of how much or how often do you have to confess if that's a condition for salvation. No, it's not a condition for salvation. Should we confess with our mouths once we're saved? Yes. Does that save you? No. 
If you don't confess with your mouth, are you lost? No, because salvation is through faith in Christ and he gives us everlasting life the moment we trust Christ. Let me say this also. Secondly, there is the case of the chief rulers in John chapter 12. Turn there with me. This is important for you to see. And these chief rulers in John chapter, uh, yes, in John chapter 12 really fit beautifully into the whole point here in Romans chapter 10. John chapter 12 in verse 42, Jesus had been preaching, had been talking about himself being the Savior. And it says in John 12 verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. That word believe is the same one as in John 3.16, folks. Same one. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Uh Uh-oh. Now, you know, I've had people tell me this. Well, they really didn't believe. It doesn't say that. God says they did believe. The Holy Spirit who gave us it said they believed. John 3.16 believed. The stuo. Now, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Guess what? The reason we don't confess him today is the same reason. We are afraid. We're intimidated. We're afraid of what people will think of us. We want them to think well of us. And if we open our mouth and share the gospel, sometimes they're going to criticize us. They're going to ridicule us. And so we keep our mouths shut. Does that mean you're not saved? No, it means you're afraid. It means you're afraid. Remember that these men would not confess with their mouths because they were scared. And yet it says they had believed. They were believers. So much for the idea you have to confess with your mouth and believe to get to heaven. It's just not true. It doesn't hold up. That's not what Romans 10 is about. Let me ask you this. If you still believe that you have to confess with your mouth to go to heaven, what about someone who can't speak physically? There are people who can't do that. Well, if they write it on a piece of paper, it's okay. So are you making the rules now? Hey, listen. The eternal destiny of a human being is at stake. Don't start making rules up on the fly. No, here's the truth of it. Confessing with your mouth doesn't save anybody, doesn't get anybody to heaven. It's believing in Christ that gets you to heaven. Once we're saved, we should confess with our mouth. Yes, but it doesn't save us. See, what we have, number four, what we have in Romans 10 is similar in concept to the passage in Mark 16, 16. I want you to turn there. Look at Mark 16, 16 with me. It's the same idea, same idea. Now we're going to be, by the way, we are going to be having a a water baptism somewhere in the near future. If, uh, If you have trusted Christ as Savior, you should be water baptized. You should be water baptized, okay, by immersion, And we'll do that here at church. It's free. But water baptism is a testimony that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. It's a witness to the world that you've trusted Christ as Savior. Just like sharing the gospel or confessing with your mouth is a witness to the world that you've trusted Christ as Savior. Water baptism doesn't save you. Now, I know there's some groups that believe it does, such as the Church of Christ and some others. They they believe you have to be water baptized to go to heaven. 
but no friend. And now, by the way, they'll quote Mark 16, 16. It says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. See that? Wait a minute, the verse doesn't stop there. But he that believeth not shall be damned. You notice it doesn't say, but he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned? Why? Because baptism doesn't, uh, not being baptized doesn't damn you. It's not putting your faith in Christ that damns you. That's what Jesus said in Mark 16. See, baptism doesn't save, only believing does. This is clear in the fact that only unbelief results in condemnation. Baptism is a testimony that you have believed. It's good to be baptized, and we're going to have that. And by the way, let me know that you want to be baptized. We'll be having some meetings on that, and we'll be doing that. It'll be some Sunday night here at church. Okay? Now let's go back to Romans 10. So again, as you're going back to Romans 10, confession cannot be a condition for salvation for several reasons. One, it would be a good human work necessary for salvation. Two, there's the case of the chief rulers in John 12. Three, what about someone who can't speak physically? And four, what we have in Romans 10 is a similar concept to the passage in Mark 16, 16. Romans 10, verse 11. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now this is not referring to the person being ashamed of the gospel, but the fact that they will not literally be put to shame. This is, this is future tense, okay? And it's, it's passive, it's passive. So it's not them, it's something on them. They will not be ashamed one day. Uh, they will not regret that they have accepted Christ the Savior. Now this was important, again, remember the context. This is important for believing Jews to remember, for there was a very good chance that they were going to be ostracized by their families if they said that they had trusted Jesus as their Messiah. The Lord is saying this, listen, you put your faith in Christ, you won't be ashamed of doing, having done that, basically. Verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Notice that believing here comes before calling. And we know without a doubt that believing is what brings eternal life because that's what the Bible says hundreds of times over and over and over again. Okay? You're not going to call on the Lord unless you put your faith in him. And you're not going to put your faith in him unless you've heard the gospel. And you're not going to hear the gospel unless somebody's faithful in giving the gospel. You see the progression here, how this works? This is how it works. There's no contradiction in Scripture. That's why sometimes people say, you know, they'll show me a track. What do you think of this track? You know, a new track. And by the way, I'm not against using a new track. Just give me one that's as good or better than what we have. If you can't give me one that's as good or better than what we have, then I don't, I'm not interested in it. But sometimes they'll put Romans 10, 9, and 10 in there as, as a salvation verse. Now, that's, they're not bad verses, but they're confusing to lost people. 
are waiting. It's saying I have to confess with my mouth and believe. Well, what does that mean, confess with? You know what a lot of Christians will do? And they say, well, you just, you have, to, you have to say it out loud is what you have to do. You have to say it out loud. Well, again, what if a person can't physically talk? Or what about the person who read it in the Bible and they put their faith in Christ when they read it in the Bible? Question, are they not saved until they confess it with their mouth? You see the problem with that? So you're telling me then that you're not saved until you confess it with your mouth. Well, wait, then you're telling me that you weren't saved when you put your faith in Christ. That's another gospel. That won't save. No, 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 no. Salvation comes when we believe in Christ the Savior. Once we're saved, yes, we ought to tell people. We ought to share the gospel with others, but that's not going to get you to heaven. It's not going to get you to heaven. Let's close over in Romans chapter 3, or not Romans, John chapter 3. I want you to see this. The clarity of, of this. Remember, folks, we always emphasize this in our church, okay? You always interpret unclear passages by clear ones, not the other way around. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. People will hold to a false interpretation of Romans 10, 9, and 10, and they'll go to John 3, 18, and they'll say, well, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean what it says. And yet it's so clear. John 3, 18, look at it. Jesus said it. He that believeth on him, referring to himself, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Notice in verse 18, there is no mention there of confessing. Your entire destiny is based on whether you have trusted in Jesus Christ, believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior or not. He that believeth on him, not condemned. He that believeth not, condemned already. Why? Because he hasn't believed. Heaven and hell. Your eternal destiny based on whether you'll believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior or not. Let me ask you this today. Have you believed, have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior or not? If you haven't, you're condemned already. You can change that though. If you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, God says you're not condemned. Why? Because when you do, he gives you his very own righteousness, and it's his righteousness that we need to get to heaven. I hope that makes sense to you today. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening, and would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.